updates. Goodbye, Mr. President. His visit cost 14 million squid on security and a damaged inflatable baby Trump. But uh, what have we learned? As soon as you start moving towards the US, you have to align regulatory standards. In order to do that trade deal, you'd have to shift some of your regulatory standards and things like that towards the US. And that automatically, for a lot of industries, takes you away from the EU. It's clearly a worry that Britain could end up with the worst of both worlds in terms of trade. Plus, as fund manager Neil Woodford apologises why investment genius doesn't last. This is not being wise after the event. You know, if not actively flashing red, there have been a plethora of yellow flashing lights. Mm. You know, you know, criticism over you know having unlisted securities in the portfolio and then going off and listing them in Guernsey it was a pretty small fig leaf in terms of you know fund governance. I'm Nigel Cassidy, and this is our final Markets Talk in the current series. As always, we've got Neil Wilson, Chief Market Analyst of Markets.com, and Mike Ingram, Chief Investment Analyst from WH Ireland. Some might say this was a horrible vision of a kind of post-Brexit Britain being forced to become a little America, even though Trump sort of climbed down over NHS contracts. It's all noise, isn't it, quite frankly? He makes policy on the hoof. Yes, there was this climb down in NHS because he doesn't consider NHS to be trade. Obviously, it's trade in services, not physical goods. So, yes, it is economically. It's still trade. So, but I'm not sure he even knew what the NHS was when he was asked the question. I think he needed a prompt right. from Theresa He seemed May. to have a problem with the war when he got to Ireland. You normally think it's something... sure that they wanted one or didn't want one. <laughs> you probably think it's something that needs to be treated, you know, within the NHS, actually. Look, I mean, you did see a very muted reaction on the pound when those co- the, the initial comments were, were, were tweeted in terms of a comprehensive, a very, very, very comprehensive, I believe, trade deal. Uh, but then it was just, you know, I yeah. guess it was just algos mm. kicking in, reacting to the headlines, and it'll, you know, a few seconds later, it'll settle back down. But it has yeah. to be said that this was the big thing that was going to replace our relationship with the European Union. And if proof were needed, the US is going to be a very unreliable partner. And I'm sure in a moment we'll be talking about all the trade angst with Mexico continuing with China and all the rest. An unreliable partner and and they've got a lot more expertise in doing bilateral trade deals than we do. So I think the UK would always be the loser in the deal, basically. And I think I've been looking at, you know, some of the sort of research on it. The BCC uh, had a report and, you know, just talking about the, the fact that as soon as you start moving towards the US, you have to align regulatory standards in order to do that trade deal, you'd have to shift some of your regulatory standards and things like that towards the US, and that automatically, for a lot of industries, takes you away from the EU. You're doing overall, I think, maybe twice as much trade with the EU than you are with the US, so you're you're losing out to the EU, and and it makes it it makes it much tougher to then do a deal with the EU because you're you're in, you're caught in the middle. And I think it's clearly a worry that Britain could end up sort of with sort of the worst of both worlds in terms of trade with, mm. with, with the two blocks. So we're more alarmed than reassured by his visit in some ways. Then. Yeah, but I mean, again, why should we be surprised? I mean, we know some of the things that you know, Trump would be pitching for any putative trade deal. You know, one, for instance, would be to get, you know, more US, you know, food uh, exports, you know, playing to his, you know, his uh, electoral base into the UK, you know, this sort of, you know, chlorinated chickens become mm-hmm. something of a trope over recent mm-hmm. years. Apparently they now do it with acid, it's a seed. Oh, that's acid. much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's great. Cleans, vinegar, isn't cleans it? me makes from the, the inside t- out. <laughs> makes the chicken taste horrible. <laughs> the other issue here, Neil, is that uh, Trump, well, we know previously he endorsed Boris. He's also had some good words to say about Jeremy Hunt. Has he changed well, the so game in terms of the leader voting, the Brexit future? Not really. I mean, there was obviously a bit of, there's maybe, they were all probably vying to, to say that they'd talk to Trump, so Boris and, and Hunt. Hunt. Hunt sort of came out of it looking like, 
Trump's sort of fanboy, which I'm not quite sure is the best thing. Gove sort of looked like uh, nobody because Trump couldn't remember that he'd met him. <laughs> the Tory party is going to kick in in the next few days, the, the, the proper race. Boris is still favourite. And I think the risk was always that he wouldn't make the final two. But I think the Tory party ultimately is a party that focuses on one thing, and that's winning. And they know that Boris Johnson can probably win them the election, whereas some of the others can't. And therefore, I think ultimately they'll plump for, for Boris over, over the others. It was, it was interesting to see Boris declining a physical meeting with, with Trump. But, you know, they did speak, speak over the phone, but he probably figured that, well, actually, the people who are going to vote for me are already going to vote for me. And an, an endorsement from Trump net net mm. is almost certainly mm. going to lose me. Lose me votes, and you know, and as, as and he's trying to pick up moderate votes. Yes, yes. So yes. maybe, yeah. so you know, maybe Jeremy Hunt featuring prominently in in discussions with with uh, Trump isn't isn't such a good thing for him. Um, it's interesting because if you, if you look at the things like odds checker, I mean, they're currently saying that there's about a sixty percent probability of Boris Johnson becoming the next uh, next mm. prime minister. But of course, you know, the, the 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 process by which MPs vote, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of tactical voting going on. And there's no doubt there's a very sizable contingent within the um, Conservative Parliamentary Party who uh, basically think anybody but Boris. They know that if he's on that ticket, running off against virtually anybody else that's likely to be on that ticket, then the 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 the, par- uh, the, the, the party, the grassroots mm. Conservatives, will vote for him. Mm-hmm. OK, well, the US and trade and all that certainly plays into markets. We'll talk about those markets again shortly. But let's move first to the other big story of the week, which is the very public fall of Neil Woodford in everybody's estimation. He's said sorry to investors for the fact that this fund of his has been closed and it raises so many issues. Yeah. Uh, Neil, firstly, before we sort of talk about the detail of Neil, what about the wider market impact of that event? Why did it play on the markets uh, during the last week? Well, I think firstly, you did see some of the, the companies that the fund invested in, they came off on the day, I think, either with him with some selling going on or anticipation of having to offload maybe some of those uh, and just a sort of general hit to the sentiment as people, you know, people instantly look at those at mm. those stocks. The main thing, I guess, is the for me, the, the regulator and the FCA and what it's, you know, it's been watching this for a while and, and, and hasn't done anything about it. It knew that it knew that there were problems, I think. And it now, again, another big sort of question mark hanging over Andrew Bailey. And yeah. Not the first time that the FCA has been, at least in, in the sort of the optics of it all, mm. found wanting or seemed to be found wanting. I mean, the biggest casualty could be his attempt to become the Bank of England uh, governor, yeah. I think. Yeah, that, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, you know, listening to statements from Andrew Bailey yesterday, I mean, he, he's definitely playing defence uh, at the moment, and quite rightly so. I mean, this is not being wise after the event. You know, Neil Woodford and Woodford Patient Capital have been in the headlines for a very, very mm. long time now. If not actively flashing red, there have been a, a plethora of yellow flashing lights, mm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, criticism over, you know, having unlisted uh, securities in the portfolio and then going off and listing them in Guernsey was yeah, a pretty... Pretty, pretty small fig leaf in terms of you know fund governance. Um, but I think actually, the, just to step away from it rather than think of the broader implications. I mean, I think probably Neil Woodford, Neil Woodford undoubtedly worked very well whilst he was at Invesco Perpetual. That was a very good match. He was able to leverage off that organisation's resources. It might have to some extent reined in perhaps some of his. Um, less helpful, less <laughs> helpful inclinations in terms of, you know, fund governance. But you know, you take that, you know, so-called investment genius out of that equation, and then clearly, things don't work. Anymore. He had a genuine belief that uh, there were a lot of stocks that were undervalued here in the UK that would come right when Brexit was sorted out. So of course, 
that hasn't happened. I just wonder if there are any wider lessons for stock pickers, uh, Neil, in terms of the kinds of companies that he seems to like and why they've let people down. I guess I guess the one of the key things that that we saw with Woodford is his shift in his strategy in his sort of the way he made investment decisions because he moved from sort of these big value type. Um, companies to to these sort of uh, smaller minnows and potential growth areas, unlisted stuff, and you know, moving into unlisted stuff, it's 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 not a, an area that your average stock picker, even Neil Woodford, these aren't very liquid, so it's hard to sell them quickly if people want ones out. Yeah, so there's no, there's not the same market for them, and it, so he's he shifted his approach and flip. I, well, no, maybe not flip flop, but he certainly mm. he was very good at one thing, and he's tried to do something else. And maybe it's a it's a lesson that if you know if you have a strategy as a as an investor or trader or whatever that you should you shouldn't try and mix it all up all the time and try and try other things all the time. If something works, then maybe stick to it. It's a kind of reminder too that in the city, as in politics, genius never lasts, Mike. Do you really want to ask me that question? Yeah, <laughs> you obviously, quite sure. Exceptions uh, in your case. Look, look, um, well, look I mean, look, I, I, as I said, I think it's it's, it's down to the combination. Look, I mean, there, there, my experience in the city, such as it is, is that you can have very, frankly, mediocre people who do a very good job if they're also in effective organisations, and you have very good, very good people who are not in effective organisations. You know, who you know never fulfil their potential, and but if you get that combination of somebody who has you know should we say an investment edge you know be non-specific about it and they're in a in, a, in an organization that can actually you know bring out the best in that person whilst you know reining in some of the should we say less helpful errors then you know but also by definition you're going to have a winning combination and as i said you take neil whitford out of investment perpetual what are you left with? I mean, one of the things that you know Neil Woodford was was, was has always been famous for was like is he's got a he's a conviction in in in, in um, investor. I think the conviction at the moment in question is perhaps a rather unhelpful one. But, oh, but dare I say it? <laughs> when does where does conviction end and sheer bloody mindedness mm. actually start mm. to begin? And it's you know it's it seems quite clear to me again hindsight that. You know, at some point, he was just digging in and going, well, hang on, this has gone wrong. It's not going to come right. You need to get mm-hmm. out of dodge mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Uh, that's a familiar thing for a lot of investors, it, isn't it? It, it is. Too, and, yeah. and that's why, you know, you, you, you get emotional about it. And that's that's also the danger of being a one-man man, because it's your own mental biases and biases and so forth which come into play. And then when you've got nobody else to tap you on the shoulder and say, mate, yeah. sorry, you've got this wrong then you're going to have run into problems. Well, one of the companies uh, which I think he had invested in was Kia, which has recovered a little bit uh, within the last uh, day or two, but the shares fell 40% after the chief of seven weeks, Andrew Davies, warned, uh, this was on Monday, of a £40 million plunge in profits, uh, so falling back into debt just a few months after a fundraising with people whispering Carillion again. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's, looking, it's not looking... Great for Kia. I think that the Carillion Spectus will, will hang over them probably for a while. Mm. I'm not sure if they can right the ship or not, but yeah, I mean, Kia's one of that. There's been a, there's a few in that Woodford uh, list at the bottom. The, the absolute turkeys like Kia and Provident, all that's come back now, but um, a touch <laughs> anyway. Um, Purple Bricks is another. You know, the, the, there's been some real turkeys in there that he's that he's <laughs> he's picked on. Um, 
I, and the other thing is the, the you know the Hargreaves Landstones and yeah. you know they they they're well being... this the collateral damage the company's St James's Place I think yeah. within yes. the last twenty four hours or so has pulled out of any relationship with Woodford yeah. Hargreaves Landstones I mean, it's a major that... investment. Well, the house, a major trading Too cosy as well. It they're, looks. they're waiving their platform fee for, for, yeah. for Woodford, which is yeah. you know, magnanimous, really, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, Woodford, Woodford's company may, has made, what was it, 35 million quid since, uh, is it in the last year or in, the, or uh, in fees and so on? So yeah. there was a good, I think it's FTP saying, you know, someone has, someone's made money out of this, mm. but it, it wasn't... It wasn't invested. It, it's been a worrying week for markets, but in your words, a bit of Kool-Aid applied by the Federal Reserve. Well, markets have been drinking the Kool-Aid anyway. Yeah, I mean, the markets rallied on bets that the Fed's going to cut rates. So the the Jay Powell came out and said that the Fed will do whatever it takes to sustain the recovery. That's not an explicit reference to cut in my book, but the market's drinking this up. And the Dow was up 500 on Tuesday, 200 on Wednesday. So big, big rallies. And it does seem to be on this on the bets that the Fed's going to cut rates. Hard to tell at the moment what's going to happen with Mexico. There's yeah. talks, but, you know, there could be tariffs on Monday morning. We just don't know yet. Well, on the Fed, the, 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 there is, there's clearly a programme to engage in what is colloquially called sort of open-mouthed operations. So you've had <laughs> Jay Powell saying, yeah, well, you know, if trade turns even worse, then, you know, we, we, we will countenance a rate cut. They're very cut. much responding to events, aren't they, rather than yeah. trying to control the economic it's conditions. It's almost as if the market is dictating the terms to the Fed. Yeah. <laughs> almost, yeah. Almost as if. Who'd have thought? Yeah. yeah, Richard Clarida, James Bilardo is probably the most he's nervous. Arch, he's the archdove as yeah, well. Yeah, archdove on the. Evans was a bit less. He, I thought he was. Sounded a bit wobbly. These are the people week. who appear in the famous dot plot. They do, and we will have another dot plot on the 19th of June. But maybe not forever. Powell sounded like he might get rid of it. Yeah, because, you know, then we, then we won't know definitively just how wrong they've been. <laughs> I mean, the market's just. Way ahead of them, way ahead of them on this. Um, they're now fully discounting two quarter point cuts this mm. year. You know, we're halfway pretty much through the year now as well. So there's a lot of ground to be made up. And, you know, maybe what's been going on over the last week or so has been, you know, further preparing the ground for that shift downwards in that dot plot. Certainly as it stands at the moment, when I looked at it this morning, you know, it was discounted about one in four chance of them actually mm. pushing a rate cut through. Most um, of us check June. the weather, you yeah. check the dot plot. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's me. Can you ask Alexa to check the dot plot? No, no, I don't want to be on the grid. Okay. Don't want to yes. listen in my high-powered high <laughs> conversations at home. <laughs> and while we're in the States, fangs ain't what they used to be. Antitrust concerns and other issues bearing down on the shares of uh, our favourite large tech companies. There was a sell-off at the start of the week on, on this, the, the DOJ and the FTC carving up areas of jurisdiction. A bit of a knee jerk in the market, I think, but nonetheless, there are there are probably going to be ongoing. This is going to be act as a drag probably on these stocks. There'd be an underlying sort of drag there. Mm-hmm. The thing is, Apple's clearly not a monopoly, so I, I, I just don't see how that could possibly ever be. Well, it won't be clearly monopoly, and you know, because they, you know, that's that's they want to disguise how much of a monopoly it is. <laughs> yeah, well, surely, sorry, I'll take my tinfoil hat off. Technically, but, you know, it's, it's a rivalrous oligopoly at the top. Isn't I mean, well, it? I don't even know what that is. But, yeah, that's <laughs> sounds, sounds you important. do your economic say level. Shame. I mean, but then you look at Google, and you you could make a case for it. Um, but then Amazon, you know, Amazon, mm. they talk about that too. It's a lot of online sales, but it's certainly not much of the overall 
retail market. But it's I also mean, things that it's not just you know how how the data is used or we're not you know monopolies in in markets. Mm. How you, you know, mm. how do you find markets as well? It's it's also about you know data security. It's about you know, things yeah. like political interference. I mean there was there was actually within the last twenty four hours reports saying that even though Facebook supposedly had tightened up on political yeah. advertising, that it had still had, had an impact on the EU parliamentary yeah. elections, which mm. just passed and say you know we could quite easily buy political advertising in, in the German market from Holland. I mean, and it's interesting, I know, I've always thought that actually the valuation of these sorts of companies wasn't really constrained by the growth opportunities because there's still plenty of growth opportunities out there. It's actually through legislation. Part of the issues, however, has been is that the US really has to move on this you know, to, to really move move the dial on the valuations of these companies. Obviously, the EU has been plodding away with antitrust legislation for a number of years mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Hasn't really had a great impact on, you know, how investors view these companies. But if the US gets on the case, it's fine. The thing is, Republicans don't like regulation, generally speaking. Yeah. The Democrats like regulation, but those companies tend to be broadly supportive of the Democratic yeah. agenda. So neither of them had a particular reason to actually bite the bullet. This this latest move by the House Judicial Committee seems to have bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. They both figured out for various reasons it's probably a vote winner. That's and it. guess what? We are think, 18 months or so you know, uh, before a presidential election. So, you know, yeah. I think for me, again, this is very much tied up in the electoral cycle. You know, whether or not anything will come of this, all they have to do is just say that they're going to do something and then after yeah. the election it's, perhaps it's back off the table. But the next 18 months or so it could be pretty bumpy. They can sniff votes and breaking up or somehow clamping down on Silicon Valley seems to probably play well with mm. with a good number of voters. And I think it, the dial sort of shifted last year with Facebook and that scandal there. And yeah. I think ever since then you've just seen this the shift in the in the way people view Silicon Valley. And still with Apple, it's quite clear now we have to say goodbye to iTunes. It's going to be replaced by three different apps. Will you miss it? Personally, I won't because I think, I mean, this was actually highlighted in, within the, the announcement this week of its demise, that the software just become, was trying to do too many things. It was becoming incredibly bloated. It was very, very slow. Hmm. And you just think, oh, I just, you get to the point where I just you throw your hands yeah. up in the air and just go, I can't just deal hmm. with this anymore. So yeah, I mean, they're breaking it up aren't they, to three separate mm. apps. Do you know, this podcast drops on Spotify within minutes of it being put up online. It takes several hours to appear on Apple iTunes. Yep. You know, and it's not just that Apple faces external competition, but it's also, you know, having to wanting to move more of the service onto more of a streaming basis. So, you know, to some extent, mm. their own iTunes app is competing with their music streaming service, mm-hmm. for instance. So, you know, splitting it out is going to, you know, make a lot of sense. Um, there was a question mark about how, you know, various devices, iPads, iPhones, were going to sync with these apps, but apparently, you know, they'll be rolling out new operate new operating system, Catalina, mm. later on mm. in the year, and it'll just the the OS itself will actually. It's not a chocolate it. bar, is it? That one. I thought it was a. Wasn't it a boat or something? Well, ice creams and chocolates and biscuits. It was an amphibious plane, wasn't it, mm. Catalina? Mm. There you go. There you go. It's not a catamaran. Despite, despite, despite rumours to the contrary, this, this is an educational podcast. There you are, you see. You just <laughs> don't have time to go to Poundland, do you? No, I send my valet. Learned boy. My valet to go. <laughs> okay. Bring me back a one-pound terrace chocolate orange, you see. Next week, companies reporting. We've got the likes of Chris Nicholson, Quiz, Daniel Thwaites, P.Z. Cousins trading update. How about Majestic One? Yes, please. Um. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Oh, wow, it is two minutes past midday. Or naked wines, as they are now.
sort of. I'll, I'll, yeah, any wine is fine. This has, um, become, well, this has become a reverse takeover, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that, Naked Wine's boss took over Majestic Wine, and that was quite a successful yeah. sort Rowan of direct Gormley. sell yeah. thing. They've sort of still been working out what to do with the stores. Well, they're going to sell, I mean, basically, everyone assumes that they're going to sell them. It's about 100 million, I think, that are being talked about. I saw an analyst uh, saying that they're probably worth 130 to 150 million. I think the thing is, a lot. So we'll get an update. We should get an update on this, and and a lot will depend on the price that they manage to get. It's a buyer's market for. Shops yeah, and stores. it'll have. It just the, the numbers. I think that you're talking about will have a meaningful impact on the mm. on the bottom line. This is not, you know, Vodafone selling something mm. for hundred million. This is this is a relatively small cap company that you know makes it makes a few million quid a year. It's doing pretty well. So, it, the the number it gets for this is probably quite important, and will allow it to invest more in the mm. U.S. marketing push for Naked, which sales were up 21% in the US mm. for Naked over Christmas. We've not had an update on performance, sales performance since mm. then, since that Christmas trading update. So I think we'll be looking to see if they're, if they're getting that momentum in yeah. the US. There have been a number of private equity firms sniffing around those, um, mm. you know, those physical assets, shall we say, well, that includes, I think Fortress has been moved yeah, to Fortress, And also yeah. an, an, an opt capita of Comet Notoriety is also apparently. Yeah. Well, that's the, the thing. Frame. You can you can you can redevelop these. Sites. You don't you know yeah. you don't need to exactly. you don't need to keep them for for retail. You can redevelop them. They're probably they're mm. probably lux- luxury flats. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. The wine bar. Amazon click and collect <laughs> shops oh, or Penguins. DS Smith. Yes. So I think the main thing that we're looking there is the progress on the Euro Pack integration. There's meant to be good cost savings there. So we'll see if there's uh, just to what extent the synergies are. Are coming from there. Also, the the sale of the plastics business as they exit that. So, just sort of more an update on that. I think overall, you know, that packaging sector is, is looking like a good growth sector. But the shares have come off quite a, quite steeply in the last year. So, they're saying that they're not going to do any more mergers and acquisitions because they need to focus on the ones they've done. But there might still be some more room for manoeuvre mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, interesting space that just with the fact that people are ordering stuff and you see all these Amazon boxes piling up outside your front door. And they're the people that, that, mm. that make these sort of well, things. Well, not in case of past <laughs> mine has gone missing. It's been three days trying to find where, where it went. Anything else next week? Catch your eye? Ferguson, Q3 update. It's a massive play on the US housing sector and new housing sector. And we've seen a recovery. So there was a bad Q4 in 2018, but it's picked up in April, uh, March and April were, were stronger. New housing starts up 5.7% in April. So as we see a bit of a recovery there and also more 30-year mortgage rates in the US coming down and um, with uh, yields across the piece coming off. There's been fears about this US, US housing sector cooling significantly and that's hit the shares but signs that maybe it's it, th- those fears maybe been overdone so we'll be looking for for maybe a more positive update from Ferguson and finally the Nutella crisis Ferrero <laughs> has just I think seen its workers go back they brought production at brand's largest factory to a near standstill this is in Normandy I think they were on strike since late May I wondered if we have Nutella fans here, if you can think of any alternatives. Yeah, I've never understood the fascination for Nutella sandwiches, I must say. I do. I'm a fan, I'm a fan of um, Ferrero Rocher glass, with a glass of amaretto. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not until the evening. Not, not, certainly not in podcasts. 
<laughs> Certainly not. I was going to say, <laughs> peanut butter and jam. You need the jam for the lubrication, because otherwise the peanut butter dries the top of your mouth. I didn't realise this had become a gourmet yes. podcast. It's always it. what happens when, when I know what's coming and you don't. <laughs> exactly. yeah. I know there's a Ferrero Rocher UK HQ in Watford, but that's all I know about it. Well, we need to leave it there. That was Neil Wilson, Chief Market Analyst at Markets.com. Thanks to, to Mike Ingram, Chief Investment Analyst from WH Ireland. Thanks very much for listening to Markets Talk.